Hi, welcome back to another episode of Rick's Random Ramblings. Uh, I'm your host, Rick, and this is uh, Season 2, Episode 6. It was was a long week. I apologize for um, not having another episode out last week. I was uh, out with the flu, and it wasn't very fun. It was kind of... um, it, it was just annoying, but uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good now, so there's no other need to worry. I have my dog right next to me. He's wet from the rain. It is Thursday, December 22nd, and it is very cold and very wet outside. My dog's lying right at my feet, all wet. He insisted that we go outside, so that's exactly what we did. And right now, he's regretting that decision. He won't stop pacing around my feet and keeps on uh, trying to dry himself off on the rug. Other than that, it's been uh, it's been fun. I catched up on some comics while I was out. I rediscovered my love for Spider Girl, which we're going to talk about a little bit today. I read some Captain America and uh, modern day Captain America. That is, I know usually you guys. Uh, are probably thinking that I'm reading the uh, Moran's Age, Silver Age uh, greatness. But these last uh, few weeks, I've been uh, catching up on some modern uh, characters, or characters in their modern incarnations, rather, I should say. And so far, it's, it's, actually, it's actually pretty good. Uh, I, I don't know who the writer is. Uh, I've never read his work. Uh, I don't know if he's a new guy, but it's pretty good. Uh, check it out. Uh, Alex Ross is uh, doing the covers. That's basically what um, what drew me towards the book was Alex Ross's painted covers. Uh, you guys know me. You guys know that I love Alex Ross. It's one of my favorite um, just artists. Not even just a comic art that he does, but just art in general. You look at the way he paints and the style that he uses and the the techniques. He has a YouTube uh, channel where he posts uh, videos of him painting and talking about the characters that he's painting and the history and everything. It's just fantastic. He goes into great detail that um, other writers and artists don't do anymore. Like, he gets right into their psyches. He's like uh, 52-ish right now. So um, his, his primary... Um, his primary uh, era of Marvels, like the seventies, and so his characters really reflect that that era in time. Um, spe- specifically with his um, Marvel characters, but his DC stuff is his, D- his DC stuff is gorgeous. There's uh, there's so much stuff that he does that's just like when I look at his DC art, I'm like, yeah, that's that's how I remember the DC characters. He draws them in their original uh, costumes, their original portrayals. You know, Superman with the squinty eyes and the the barrel belly, you know, barrel chest, you know, little, little dad gut he's got going on there. He draws Batman like a, like a regular dude. It's great. Wonder Woman's in the regular costumes. Uh, he's got the JSA all looking like they did back in, you know, 1942 or 1941. It's all fantastic. So anytime he's uh, doing the covers, I at least have to check the book out. It kind of draws me to the book and it makes me happy that he's not is not a variant cover. It's the cover A. So I don't have to worry about having to chase it. It's just a just a regular old book. Uh, my favorite Alex Ross painting is probably um, it's like a Jack Kirby did a uh, splash page for a Fantastic Four book way back in like. 1966 and um human torch is trying to like burn a door but we see it from um not from his point of view but um we're looking down at them so we can see all four members of the fantastic four huddling around human torch and alex ross recreated that painting and it was a um it was a variant cover for dance slots fantastic four number one i had to have it it was um it was it was dumb expensive but it was i would say it was worth it i really did like the book um i love the art on the book 
So it was a no-brainer for someone like me, but some people might not want to spend like the 80 bucks or whatever on that, but to each his own. So um, that's why I don't like hunting the variant uh, covers unless um, unless I really, really like the variant or the artist that did it. Otherwise, it's just it's no different from cover A, at least from myself personally. I know some of the variants go for outrageous prices, but, the, you know, to each his own. However, uh, that's, that's enough about Alex Ross. Check him out, guys. He's great. He's done all kinds of books. He's done pretty much a little bit of everything. He's done some independent. He's in Marvel. He's done DC. He's like top five modern day artists, if you want to call him modern day. He started like the 80s, so I suppose he's still modern. Anyways, uh, Spider-Girl. Yeah, so I've been reading lots of Spider-Girl the last, like, yeah, the last week or so. Uh, I was first introduced to Spider Girl actually by uh, by my dad, who essentially introduced me to the majority of uh, superheroes and comics that I know. But um, back when I was in elementary school, they used to have these uh, school classic uh, sales where um, you basically just bought a bunch of books, and if your parents didn't give any money, you were kind of just uh, you know out of luck. But uh, my parents used to give us like 10 or so dollars to go to buy, you know, a little something and just you know, hang out. And um, my dad uh, saw a spider girl book there because uh, he, he was there with us at the sale. And uh, he said, yeah, buy that, that check it out. And so my brother did. He's a year younger than me, my brother. So we were pretty close in age and in person. So my brother's reading it. And he looks like he's in, he's loving it. I can't remember what the heck I bought. Probably some kind of nonsense. But I definitely can't remember. I just remember that my brother got Spider-Girl Volume 1. It was a collected edition. Uh, issues 1 through 6. I think it was 1 through 6 or 0 through 5. Because for some reason they had a thing back in the day when they did where they did um issue zeros. I, I don't like those things. They... To me, they're a little bit confusing for new, new, newer readers, but nowadays it's kind of like whatever. But at the time, I remember being upset because of why I just started issue zero. But whatever. Um, so after my brother was done reading it, I ended up reading it and um, I loved it. It was just a lot of, it was a lot of fun. It was like, uh, well, I looking back at it, now rereading it uh it was like reading a silver age spider-man story you know uh um spider girl her name being may is a high school student just just like her dad back in the day in the silver age there's always a subplot going on with one of her classmates or her parents stressing out about some kind of unpaid bill or whatever it, the case may be and they just go about their day uh, May bumps into a, a supervillain while in her uh, civvies, changes costumes, gets beaten up by the bad guy, goes back home, finds out that the subplot thingy is still going bad, probably even worse, and then she solves everything by the end of the issue, and it's, it's, it's like classic uh, Spider-Man storytelling. I believe it was Tom DeFalco that uh, wrote uh, the majority of the run. Lasted about a hundred issues, but of course, myself being a kid, as a kid, you don't really find the entire collected editions and stuff. I think we only had the first four volumes, so I was dying to know who the heck Dark Devil was. And in fact, I still don't know who that guy is today. He's just a dude. That looks like Daredevil to me. I think he was some kind of demon or something. He used to give me the, the heebie-jeebies when I was a kid. But um, my favorite Spider-Girl uh, arc... I still remember it to this day uh, is when she started losing her powers and I thought that was kind of cool. She was um, in the Spider-Girl universe. There's a uh, villain called, um, well, well, he's basically Green Goblin, but he's the grandson of the Green Goblin because back in the 90s, um, Harry Osborn and Liz Allen got married and had a kid and that kid eventually becomes uh, the new Green Goblin. And Spider-Girl starts stealing his stuff. 
so she can keep on fighting crime. So she uses like his uh, his glider, his bombs, and all his little gadgets and stuff to keep on fighting crime because she can't help herself. What's interesting to know about um, Spider-Girl's character is that she doesn't become a hero because of tragedy. Uh, and nothing tragic happens in her life. She just does it because she knows it's the right thing and she knows that her dad did it. So that's something that I kind of I really I actually really do like about the character. You don't often see that in a Marvel character. Usually a Marvel character does the right thing because of something negative that happened in their life, something drastic like the like your uncle dying or you messed up with your girlfriend or someone died or something's your fault and you couldn't have prevented it or something like that. However, Spider-Girl's not like that. She does the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing because she grew up with a great role model. Um, that's usually something that's usually something you see in a DC book, which I find funny. Um, Superman does the right thing because he can, because of the morals and values that his parents, his adopted parents, uh, instilled in him. And then, uh, well, actually not Batman. Batman also had a tragic backstory. But Wonder Woman is the same thing. She does the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing. And so on and so forth. So, seeing a Marvel character do something like that was interesting to me. She's completely selfless. She likes playing basketball. And she just does the same thing every other teenager does. <coughs> oh, there goes my dog. He's hacking and coughing again. Hmm. Must have been in front of the cold. Or maybe just getting old. So, anyways, that's why I like Spider-Girl. Uh, you guys can find it on Marvel Unlimited on the app where I read most of my Marvel books because I can't find these books anywhere because uh, either comic shops don't have them or they're outrageous price and I just really want to read the story. But that's one of the few instances where a modern book uh, still has my undivided love. I'm going to finish the run eventually. We can go and talk about it afterwards. But uh, all you guys really know, need to know about Spider-Girl is that she's a daughter of Spider-Man and Mary Jane. And she has the same spider powers. And yeah, that's like, that's pretty much it. I think that's what makes the character so much fun for me. It's like very simplistic. Nothing overly complicated. No uh, crazy backstory that we need to know about. It's just, no, here's the character and go have fun with them. So definitely check it out if you guys are into Spider-Man or you guys are just into, you know, fun storytelling. Uh, the writing's not that deep. It's very basic. It's very simple. Anybody can pick up and read it. Although, looking back at some of the stuff that happens in some of the books, uh, I was wondering why the heck was a uh, seven or eight year old ever reading this book. But nevertheless, uh, it's not that mature. Maybe for like maybe for like a kid, but like for a teenager, it's gonna be fine. Nothing they haven't seen before. But anyways, uh, let's get right back into our uh, X Men uh, discussion. Uh, starting back with uh, issue 103, uh, Death Siege. But before we get into that, I'm going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss this sexy book. Okay, we're back. I have a, a cup of hot chocolate right next to me because it is um, it's so cold outside, guys. It's like, actually, I don't have the, yeah, 14 degrees outside. That's outrageous. Um. I used to love the winter when I was a kid, but um, now that I'm an adult, I, I don't love it as much, especially because I'm not really playing in the snow, but nevertheless, Uncanny X-Men issue 103, my dog's sitting at my feet, so you guys can probably hear him snoring. It's a very loud snore. So, Uncanny X-Men issue 103, the synopsis on Marvel Unlimited the app I use to read uh, mostly Marvel, yeah, Marvel comics, basically. Uh, the majority of the comics, especially older ones that I can't really find around the wild, you know. It has a very funny synopsis. It reads, uh, following the defeat at the hands of Black Tom and the Juggernaut, Nightcrawler's unconscious body is pulled through the secret passageways of Cassidy Keep by a group of leprechauns. When Nightcrawler awakens, he finds himself surrounded by creatures that he thought were creatures of myth, 
dot, dot, dot. That synopsis is one of the most misleading um, synopsis uh, I've ever read in my life. That's um, that's just not what happens in a book, uh, almost at all. I mean, I mean, knowing wrong that happens, but that's like two pages of the book. This issue's practically uh, nonstop uh, action, so that. I thought that was pretty funny. So there you guys go. Do what you will with that information. That's not how I would uh, write that synopsis, but you know what? Whoever's in charge of writing synopsis uh, on uh, Marvel Limited, you guys um kind of up the game a bit right there because that's um that is something. So, anyways, uh, all that aside, this is a great issue, guys. Uh, it's 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 fantastic stuff here. Once again, Chris Claremont on um, on writing duties. We already knew that because this is the Claremont run. He writes for the next 15 years, but I'm still going to remind you guys every time that he's on writing duties. Dave Crockroom is a penciler. You guys already know that I love this guy. I talk about him all the time. I, I, do, I practically do nothing but rave about him every time we speak about this guy. I wish I had a chance to meet him. Unfortunately, he passed away before him. Yeah, I was like five when he, unfortunately. But one of my uh, heroes, this guy's fantastic. You guys already know it. Sam Grainer, once again on inks. Great inker. We all love him. Uh, Janice Cohen is on colors. And John Constanza is uh, the letterer, or was letterer. Now, uh, something that I found that I didn't realize actually uh, while reading this issue was that Archie Goodwin became editor uh, starting in this issue before Marv Wolfman was the editor of the previous Uncanny X-Men issues. I find that a little interesting because this is uh, this, this, this was written in 1977. That's right around the time Marv Wolfman started to write more. In case you guys didn't know, Marv Wolfman is a comic book writer. He's very famous for his uh, his grandiose uh, uh, Teen Titans uh, run. That's like fantastic. It's the one. It's the team lineup that you guys see in Teen Titans Go and the Teen Titans cartoon. Every time there's a Teen Titans adaptation, ninety nine point nine percent of the time it is based off of Marv Wolfman's run. With uh, George Perez on art duties, of course. So, right, and there's around 19, like 1970, 1971, he came to Marvel to uh, be trained by Roy Thomas, who was editor in chief at the time. Or I think he was just, no, he was just writer. Uh, he was on his way to become editor in chief. I was right around the time he started his Conan run. That That is Roy Thomas starting his Conan run. So, uh, I'm not, I don't really, th there's not much of a difference, I think, in terms of the writing and the editing in this book. Be, uh, sometimes there's a drastic change, but for this particular issue, it feels about the same. It's the same as last issue, I should say. It's not, uh, nothing drastic. You'll find some comics to be, when they swap editors, the tone will drastically change. There are some editors that are very strict about the way the art is, or the way the writing is, or the way the dialogue is, or the, the way the scene looks. And there are some editors that are just like, yeah, just collecting the paycheck. And like, yeah, it looks great, guys. Let's keep going. So, do with that what you will. But I thought that was something really interesting. I forgot right around this time, Marvel Men started writing some more. He came back to finish up his Tomb of Dracula run. Uh, him and uh, Gene Colan. Masters of the Craft, they are creators of the Blade character from Marvel Comics, in case you guys didn't know. For those of you who don't know. Um, yeah, and that's, that's that's pretty much about it about Marv Wolfman. He's fantastic. Um, we're definitely going to get around to talking about him one day. But all you guys need to know is by 1977, he was not the editor on Uncanny X-Men. For now, anyways. By 1980, he will have gone to DC and write the best Teen Titans run that we're ever going to get. Teen Titans will never be 
any better than they were in 1980, unfortunately. But that's fine. Anyways, back to Uncanny X-Men. That was a Marvel Wolfman uh, rant. Now, pre-spoilers. What the synopsis says, yes, is true. Nightcrawler is awakened by some leprechauns. And for about four pages, yeah, I'll say four pages, because one of the pages is a um, a recap of the previous issue. Nightcrawler is talking with the leprechauns, and he's waking up, and it's, um, you know, just recapping what happened. Nightcrawler's like, oh my gosh, what happened to me? And leprechaun's like, yeah, we saw you fighting, and now you're all beat up, so we uh, we saved you. So Nightcrawler, of course, thanks them, and he finds out that the X-Men are about to be killed. So, of course, he rushes to her aid. Meanwhile, the X-Men are kidnapped, and the um, Nightcrawler and the Leprechauns are watching. That, that's basically it. Uh, that, that's, that's the majority of the issue, to be honest. But this issue is fantastic. The action is great. The art is great. It's only it's actually 18 pages. The last few issues were uh, revolving like you know alternating before between um, 17, 18 ish, uh, pages. This one's an 18 pager, thankfully. Uh, I like my comics nice and long. Or sometimes some people might not like their comics very long. I don't mind it. I have a uh, a pretty good attention span to really be paying attention to these kind of things. So I don't mind it. There's a great comedy here too. Some funny moments. Especially between Wolverine. However, uh, no, it's a great issue. It's drawn fantastic. There's plenty of panels, plenty of dialogue, some very quiet moments when we get to see, see the characters relax and be themselves. The art is great. There's a hilarious scene of Banshee with this mouth covered by a, a it's kind of like metal, uh, some kind of metal collar that covers uh, his mouth and his neck. So he can't scream. So that's hilarious to see. Banshee kind of doesn't really do anything because he's mostly just kind of like beat up. But it overall fantastic issue. There's one panel on page number eight that looks a little funny. Uh, it's the page eight panel one. Like uh, Juggernaut is charging at the X-Men, and I don't know why, but his body looks kind of funny there. So that's that's my what's probably my one critique. But I'm not gonna complain about Dave Crockham's art. He's fantastic, always. His inker is great. I I, I want someone someone at home to show me a bad drawing that Dave Crockham has done because I I can't I can't tell you. Everything that man touches is is golden. It, it's always fantastic. I I love it. I have no qualms with any of his stuff. He he draws wonderfully. His his villains look menacing, and his heroes look well heroic. And that that's all I really have for him. He, he's, he's great. This man this man was a legendary comic book artist. But going to spoilers for this issue, Leprechauns wake up. Nightcrawler, as we know, so Nightcrawler wakes up, and he goes to save the X Men. However, he realizes that he can't defeat Juggernaut and Black Tom by himself. Obviously, he can't. He could barely take on Night. Um, he could probably. I don't know. Maybe he could take on Black Tom. Maybe because Black Tom's power is mostly pro like projectile based, and he could just teleport all around and just try to like sideswipe him or whatever you know, try to flank him. But when Juggernaut, the guy's invincible, so he kind of can't really do anything. So naturally, Nightcrawler decides to uh, mess around with them. So while Black Tom and Juggernaut are boasting about their about their uh, victory over the X Men, they realize that um, Nightcrawler did get away, and they're they're, they're not really worried about it. I mean, they're kind of worried about it, but they're kind of like, yeah, it, it's just Nightcrawler. Once we get Nightcrawler, we're just gonna go attack at Professor Xavier. And that gets the other X-Men a little worried. So, Nightcrawler comes up with a plan. And I really do like his plan, actually. It's, it's actually a pretty, pretty fantastic plan. So, he decides that he's going to turn 
Because back in the 70s, uh, Nightcrawler and Image Reducer that we spoke about a few episodes ago, where that allows him to change his appearance. So he changes his appearance to Professor Xavier. And Dracodat goes wild because he thinks he's a real Professor Xavier. And he starts to charge at him. But Professor Xavier, the, the Professor Xavier, actually being Nightcrawler, begins jumping around and beating up on Black Tom. And Black Tom is freaking out. And on that same uh, page, on page eight, he's like, Kane, something's wrong. I, I thought you sold, told me that your brother was a cripple. And because they're, they're half brothers, but he, he still calls him his brother. So, oh, oh, well, maybe that was a mistake on Claremont's part. Who knows? So, uh, Professor Xavier as Night, Nightcrawler, as Professor Xavier, that is, um, is kind of just messing around with them. And he's kind of toying with them. And suddenly, Nightcrawler makes a move where Juggernaut starts swinging wildly, and he hits on the controls, so a hole busts right through the castle's wall, and Storm is finally able to to break free using the wind. And she starts, she has like an episode on, um, on page 10, where she's just like, I thank the gods, I'm finally free. I, I'm finally free, and she's just like enjoying herself. But what she doesn't realize is, she, when she took the wind, brought the wind into the castle, the everyone who was in there came flying out. So Wolverine and Colossus fall on top of each other, and they're just like, "Oh wow, well, good for her." So meanwhile, Nightcrawler has been crushed under the debris, and he's kind of taken out of action. So Leprechauns once again save his hide. Meanwhile, Storm, Nightcrawler, and Col Storm, Colossus, and Wolverine decide that they need to rescue Banshee because unfortunately, Banshee is Banshee was un wasn't able to get away. Kane and uh, Black Tom took him, so they hold him hostage and told the X Men that they have five minutes to surrender. And if they don't, they're gonna cut Banshee into a bunch of little pieces and drop him off the edge of the castle because they begin to climb. Up to the castle's keep, all the way to the, to the highest point in the castle. So obviously the other X-Men are like, this is a trap. So obviously you don't want to do it. And Wolverine says, yeah, we've got to do something. So once again, they have another plan. And that's just, to, honestly, not, they don't really have a plan. Their plan is just to go ahead and start attacking. So Storm flies off to go do her, her thing. And Wolverine calls her dumb and the Colossus gets really upset that he called uh, Storm abroad. So he takes Wolverine and does uh, the fastball special. Except, um, hilariously, Wolverine ends up on the all the way on the other end of the castle. So he's out of the action. Meanwhile, Colossus is climbing the castle walls and is hilarious. While Storm takes out the energy blasters that are attacking, attacking her on... Um, coming out of the castle. So this is a fantastic shot. Uh, just a, this is, is this a shot of the castle and the little guns firing at Storm while Storm tries to dodge them and tries to take them out using her lightning bolts and stuff. It's, it's a really awesome scene. And Juggernaut is doing his thing. He's throwing rocks at them. He's throwing rocks. It's hilarious. And pieces of the castle wall too. So it's all great. Uh, but meanwhile, unknown to, um, unknown to Black Tom, and Juggernaut, Colossus is, uh, is, is uh, not Colossus, I'm sorry, Nightcrawler's gotten back up. And he comes back to free Banshee. And uh, Banshee attacks uh, Juggernaut by surprise. And he gets a pretty good lick in him. So instead of attacking Juggernaut, he instead uh, gets the, the floor below him. And that causes him to fall a couple stories. So that way he's a... Uh, he has a sizable distance between them because I'm, you know, Banshee, obviously, he's not going to be able to beat the Juggernaut. Come on. Let's, let's be honest here. Uh, he's, he's just Banshee. He can scream really loud and fly. That, those are his powers. And no disrespect towards my boy. I, I love Banshee to death. But that's what, that's what we're really at right now. So the other X-Men decide to take on the high ground, a Colossus Storm, Wolverine. And they decide that they're going to beat up on Juggernaut. And while they're doing that, Banshee and Black Tom 
uh, to kind of like start duking it out, cousin and cousin. So obviously, so remember from last uh, episode two weeks ago, uh, Banshee and uh, Black Tom are immune to each other's powers because they're uh, because they're family. And that's usually how it works with mutants for some reason. The same way having Cyclops' powers uh, cancel each other out. This uh, this page right here on um, if it would load, uh, page seventeen. Oh well, we got like, two pages left, guys. Ooh, oof, ooh, crazy. Books. So I told you this book goes back really fast. It's it's a fantastic issue. It's like a five six panel sequence of Banshee and Black Tom duking it out. So uh, Banshee grabs a sword hanging on the castle wall while. Uh, Black Tom grabs onto an axe. It's fantastic. Uh, kind of like uh, the old school Transformers cartoons where Megatron will have an axe and Octus Prime will have a sword. For some reason, villains always get the axe. I don't know why. So, they're duking it out. And then suddenly, Juggernaut comes crashing through the through the wall with Colossus Wolverine. And just as Black Tom is about to deliver the, deliver the final blow... While Banshee's distracted by what's going on with the other X-Men. Black Tom swings and Banshee counters it by kicking him. And he accidentally sends Black Tom falling into the waters below the castle. And Banshee tries to save him, but he, he's, he's too late because uh, Black Tom's already fallen. So Juggernaut sees this and Juggernaut goes ballistic. Because, you know, him and Black Tom are, are good friends. And he says that this is my only friend, so I can't I can't leave him to die. And he decides that if Black Tom is, has perished in the fall, he, he'll make sure that the X-Men pay. So while he's doing that, the, the uh, storm finally just calms down. And uh, Storm... The character that is helps do that to speed it up so that way a nice little rainbow shows up on the second to last panel and then on the bottom on the last panel of the story we find out that uh eric the red is talking to someone and he finds out that the uh juggernaut and red black tom have uh they failed so they decide to make their next move. And it says next issue. The gentleman's name is Magneto. Enough said. So next issue. Uh, next issue is great. I'm, I'm not going to lie. X issue 104. It's fantastic. But we're not quite there yet. Um, so this issue was action packed. It was great. It was really fast paced. It's, it's really quick read. Uh, I didn't even realize that we just gone through those 18 pages just like that. It's uh, it's got enough dialogue. Like I said, it's got fantastic art. It's got a great fight scene. I love the sword and battle axe fight scene between Black Tom and Banshee. I love Banshee having his um, his mouth covered by that that metal collar. That was awesome. And also, I love Juggernaut. He's just awesome. He's hilarious. He, he said you get on bragging about how invincible he is and. The X-Men don't even need to defeat him. They just need to defeat Black Tom, and then he just kind of loses his mind. So, yeah, that that's that's issue 103. It's fantastic. Ban we did, saw Banshee do some cool things. We saw Wolverine get his butt kicked, and we saw Colossus do his thing. And Storm also redeemed herself for freaking out last issue. So, And Nightcrawler even did some stuff. I mean, he didn't really do much physical stuff. He kind of just rescued everyone and you know saved the day but you know just typical x-men stuff this issue is fantastic uh noteworthy this is the first issue without cyclops we don't see cyclops like at all in this issue there are some previous issues in the silver age that don't feature professor xavier but this is the first issue just actually without cyclops so that's that's kind of noteworthy he's my favorite x-men so not seeing him is kind of sad but you know he's got to care of jean gray because you know, he loves her or whatever, but anyways, this issue is fantastic. I'm going to take a quick break. I got to finish up my hot chocolate and then we'll be right back for uh, Uncanny X-Men issue 104. Uh, yeah, Magneto is back, guys. We haven't seen him in so long. Like, I don't even know how long it's been. 
like uncanny x-men like 61 or something like that uh but we'll be right back guys don't go anywhere okay we're back um i had my little break and now we can dig our teeth into uncanny x-men uh issue one of four uh this episode is uh, not this episode's issue is titled uh magneto's triumph um or the gentleman's name is Magneto, uh, as it says on the splash page. But um, this is a fantastic issue um, for several reasons. Uh, one, this is the first time the X-Men have fought Magneto since, like, issue um, 50, uh, I mean, 62, more or less. Um, that Last time we saw Magneto fight the X-Men was around the Silver Age. And he had one more appearance in the Bronze Age in the Defenders book. Uh, Defenders number 16, which is very relevant because uh, he goes to fight the Defenders alongside his Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, uh, which include like Mastermind, The Blob, Unis the Untouchable, a classic uh, Toad, and uh, also uh, classic X-Men villains, just kind of like run-of-the-mill supervillains that the X-Men would fight. Um, they have some silly powers, they look evil, they are evil, and Magneto's team leader. Um, this is the start of um, Magneto's character development. Uh, he's a very important figure in X-Men uh, lore. Uh, a lot of people, when I say Magneto, they probably think of like the two actors that portrayed him. I, I know I definitely do. Uh, mostly because they, they did such a great job uh, portraying the character's nuances. Like he's, uh, yes, he is a villain. There's, there's no doubt about it. Magneto is a super villain. However, there are some things that he's, he's not wrong about, um, in terms of how humans treat mutants and such. Uh, there's a lot of times where, um, where Magneto's like brutal nature is actually a, an assistance towards the X-Men actually helps them out. So, um, I love this character. He's my absolute favorite villain, um. Just in general, in comics, he's just so like uh, three-dimensional. Uh, he's definitely not portrayed that way in the Silver Age. He's portrayed as your typical supervillain, um, just trying to conquer the world and you know do evil things. But Chris Claremont's going to change that. Not so much uh, with this issue. He's still kind of a you know mad scientist, you know crazy power gone to his head, supervillain trying to conquer the Earth, but. Every appearance that he has past this issue, he is going to be an actual three-dimensional character. Chris Claremont's going to change this, which is amazing. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that two-dimensional, you know, mad scientist, you know, uh, conquering the world supervillain. But it, for a character like me, you know, he deserves so much more. Uh, his motivation is definitely relatable. Especially if you're like minority, uh, like I am, you know, Puerto. I'm a Puerto Rican uh, descent, and uh, you can kind of just see like you know the attitude that certain people might have towards you. Unfortunate, like racism in America and stuff like that. It can really um, bring you down. It really, um, it can it can really uh, get to you. And for someone like Magneto, he finally snapped. Um, we don't really get into his origin until much later on in the series, but all you really need to know about Magneto is that, um, in case you didn't know anything about him, he's the master of magnetism, for one, and two, he um, he's a Holocaust survivor. He's also Jewish, and uh, the things that he saw in Auschwitz really shaped him into who he is today. You know, he doesn't want a repeat of what happened to him in um in Auschwitz. He doesn't want that ever to happen again, especially for like mutants, because he also happens to be a mutant. However, Claremont's going to get into that much later into the series. I mean, like, maybe not that much later, like 40 or 50 issues uh, later, he's going to get into that. But for now, what you guys need to know is that he's a typical Silver Age comic book villain, and he was turned into a baby in Defenders number 16. Since then, he's been secretly in the Karen Moyer Metagrid. Actually, we're just going to go straight into spoilers. I'm going to be honest. This issue's fantastic, guys. Um, 
We have uh, Claremont on writing duties. We've got uh, our guy, uh, Dave Crockrum on art, on pencils, that is. Sam Grainer, anchor. He's, we already know this, guys. He's fantastic. Also to note, Archie Goodwin is once again our editor for this uh, issue. So this issue is fantastic. It's, oh man, it's just, it's just great, dude. Guys, it, it's fantastic. Uh, the cover is also, I also love the cover because it's a callback to Uncanny X-Men issue one where Cyclops and the X-Men are trying to attack Magneto, but from the left to right. And uh, X, Uncanny X-Men issue one of four, this current issue, it's the X-Men attacking Magneto from right to left. So uh, to me, that gives, at least for me, cause I, you, you typically we read left to right, right? So it gives me more attention uh, towards Magneto, like kind of like gravitate towards him, which I think is kind of cool. Uh, could could have been Croc from uh, foreshadowing Magneto's uh, 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 victory over the X Men in this issue. Because I'm not gonna lie, Magneto does technically win. Uh, the Uncanny X Men are no match for Magneto in this issue. So our issue starts off with a wonderful splash page. Let me just say, great Dave Crockroom is king of splash pages. He's king of just drawing in general. Incredibly underrated artist. We talked about it. We talk about it all the time, but I'm going to keep on repeating it so it gets through everybody's heads. I need everyone to know that Dave Crockroom is like top five Bronze Age artist. But that's neither here nor there right now. The X-Men are trying to get, uh, they're trying to get out of Scotland right now. They're kind of getting, they're kind of getting tired. Of, they overstay their welcome at Cassidy Keep and they're ready to go home. So they're about to borrow a motorboat, and uh, the guy who's bar who they're borrowing from is incredibly racist. Essentially, he's anti-mutant, and uh, he tells them that he's a uh, he's not going to lend it to a bunch of uh, of clowns. And uh, the X Men kind of just take it anyways because they already pay for the boat and they don't want to um to waste their money. So they take the boat. Suddenly, as they're as they think they're away scot-free, suddenly the boat collapses inwards. And uh, Banshee uh, says that the boat, it felt like the pieces of the boat were alive. That's already a hint that Magneto's coming up. Meanwhile, some of the other X-Men are starting to, um, starting to doubt their decision to join the X-Men. Because Colossus uh, has a thought bubble on uh, page four where he says it's another attack again to the death so uh, he's uh he's getting a little worried and he says that my life was so much simpler and safer when i was in ussr everything was so easy and he said yet he says i love this part he says yet i would not give up friends like this for and then he gets cut off because they see a giant um laboratory which they assume is uh, Moira Matagard's laboratory. And it's they say it's massive. And uh, Banshee's beginning to realize there's much more to Moira Matagard than meets the eye. And he's starting to doubt uh, her as well because he says that he thought he knew her. But now he's not so sure. So all the X-Men are going through their own little thing uh, at the same time as they uh, are investigating Maury Mataggart, Secret Island, your island, it is. As Colossus charges in, he's repulsed backwards. And they're like, it's some kind of force field that's blocking them, and they are, they're unable to get in. And once again, Dave Crockham does a fantastic job of showing us this. He lays out the island in such a simple fashion, but it gets the point right across. Once again, can't say enough great things about this guy's art. Suddenly, the X-Men are pulled upwards, and the X-Men decided that it's time for them to start cutting loose. I also really like in this issue, in these first um, you know, 10 or so pages, Banshee is taking the lead uh, on the on this uh, field team of X-Men. Remember, there's five X-Men here. We got Banshee, Colossus, Nightcrawler, Storm, and Wolverine. Banshee's a senior member, so it makes sense that uh, with his experience, because he was uh, it was an Interpol detective, it makes sense that he would have natural leadership abilities. However, he's—it seems like he's just getting by because of how um, 
I don't really want to say immature of the X-Men are up to this point because they, they kind of are, but they don't really all mesh as well as they could, as, as well as the original X-Men did. They're on their way there, but they're not quite there just yet. They still bicker, they still argue, they still poke fun at each other and, you know, take little jabs at each other's personal lives. So stuff like this, these little things are what I really appreciate about um, this X-Men run. The original X-Men did have their own points and stuff, but they weren't as uh, as exciting, I guess, or as um, as relatable in some ways because they were just kind of like, yeah, come on, guys, we got to save the professor, and then they would go and save the professor, and that was the story, you know? It, the Silvery stories weren't as uh, grandiose, I suppose, as these Bronze Age ones, which were overly dramatic, but I don't mind overly dramatic. It's totally fine with me. So the X-Men break in, and then suddenly they find Magneto. And Magneto gets gives us a great monologue where uh, he says that they're going to die. And um, none of their powers or skills can possibly save them from his wrath. And he says, uh, look on to me, X-Men, for I am your oldest, deadliest foe. No, um, the master of, uh, of uh, the evil mutants and soon to be lord of the world. And he says he is Magneto. So, um, just typical stuff. It's a gorgeous page. I'm taking a screenshot of that for later so I can post it for you guys on Instagram so you guys can see it. Actually, follow me at Rick's Random Ramblings. Uh, it's just great. There's, um, it's just a great splash page. It's classic, um, you know, comic book stuff. There's like nice debris all around. It's a great page. So, meanwhile, Cyclops and Moira Taggart land on Muir Island and they come rushing to the X-Men's aid because they realize they need to figure out what's going on here. Uh, what's happening and are the X-Men okay? So they figured this out and they bump into the multiple man. Uh, he was a uh, supporting character in uh, Giant Size X-Men number four. He's I don't think it was really a villain in that book. I know I read the book, but I cannot remember uh, the exact details of that book. But Multiple Man is in there, and so is Professor Xavier. He's a fun little character. Every time he gets punched, he basically, um, or gets hurt, hit or hurt in any fashion, he basically makes a duplicate of himself. So he's a pretty funny-looking character. So uh, Multiple Man explains to us that Eric the Red came by with Polaris and... Um, and Havoc, and he turned Ma Baby Magneto into uh, adult Magneto, but uh, not to the same age Magneto was in the Silver Age, where he was like somewhere in his mid 40s, you know, Professor Xavier's age. Right now, he's back to an adult in his prime, probably like early 30s, mid 30s. Uh, that's how I usually envision him. So, this is the reason why Magneto is able to look so young. So, Eric the Red recruits X Men, the um, Magneto, to defeat the X Men in a two pronged attack. They say, and he decides he's going to um, he's going to go with it. Magneto agrees. So Cyclops is horrified because right now Magneto's at the height of his powers, and um, the, this new team of X Men does definitely does stand a chance. So and and of course Cyclops is correct. There's no doubt about it. This new team of X-Men is no match for uh, Magneto, but not for the reasons you guys may be thinking. Remember, if you guys have been reading along with me, you guys know each of this new team of X-Men, uh, their powers are all based on magnetism in some fashion. Wolverine's uh, adamantium skeleton is made of metal. So Magneto just like shoves him away. And then Colossus uh, also is as a skeleton skin so magneto just like pushes him away and once again storm she um her powers are based off the um like the the pull of the magnetic the magnetic the magnetic pull of the earth so he's able to just deflect it although every time a lightning ball every time attack and storm is basically taken out of the fight so every time Colossus tries to do anything, uh, he tries to get back up, and Magneto basically just 
just shoves him out of the building. And that that's it. Colossus is done. He falls back into the ocean. And we don't see him. Not, not that's it. Kind of a shame uh, for the, those X-Men. And meanwhile, same as Nightcrawler. Uh, Nightcrawler also doesn't have any... Um, doesn't have any uh, better chance against Magneto. Because as he teleports, Magneto can see the uh, the spot where Nightcrawler is going to teleport because of the magnetic pull that he needs to teleport for some reason. Uh, according to the, according to Chris Claremont. So when Banshee finally a lot arrives, he's going, he, he actually gives him a run for his money. He managed to put up a pretty good fight. So much so that, um, that, uh, Magneto says he is, uh, the only X-Man worthy of fighting Magneto, but he tells him it's a lost cause. So of course Banshee gets defeated. Um, uh, somehow he's just not able to be, beat Magneto. Magneto's too strong. He's got um, he's got too much power. So Cyclops suddenly arrives to come and save the X Men in typical uh, X Men fashion. Uh, suave Cyclops comes in, attempts to stop Magneto, but his uh, newfound Magneto's newfound power and his youth is uh, still too much for even Cyclops. So. Cyclops goes and rescues the rest of the X-Men while Magneto is momentarily distracted. And that's when Cyclops realizes this is all a distraction. Uh, Magneto coming back, Eric the Red uh, sending uh, Polaris and Havoc at them. He realizes, oh, I mean, not Polaris and Havoc, uh, Juggernaut and uh, Black Tom are all distractions. So Eric the Red can attack Professor Xavier with Havoc and Polaris to kill Professor Xavier. Cyclops finally realizes all this. It all clicks in his head while he's fighting Magneto. So he frees the other X-Men and he tells them that they need to get out. They have to go back to New York as fast as possible and rescue Professor Xavier. So Wolverine is definitely not okay with this because he's the roguish character. He's always got to, always got to argue with everything that Cyclops says. So Cyclops, um, Puts him back in this place. And Wolverine says that the next time that they do this, all bets are off. Interesting to note, in that very same panel on um, on page 15, Wolverine says that the bug-eyed broad, the uh, one of the mutants, the one of the anti-men, that we met back in issue 96, has escaped. And not only that, on the next page, we find out that there is a mutant called Mutant X, uh, he also is in the middle of escaping as well, but Magneto doesn't re- notice it. So the X-Men pick up Colossus and they head right back to New York, where once again, Cyclops is uh, chastised by Wolverine, saying that he turned the X-Men to cowards, and Wolverine's not going to forgive him for that. So Wolverine's really upset. Obviously, and Cyclops, you know, he's standing by his um, his decision, because he, he knows for sure that he's right. He just can't really convince the X-Men, particularly Wolverine, that he's correct. So Magneto gets back up from Cyclops' optic blast. And he thinks that the X-Men ran away because they can't defeat him. And Magneto uh, yells that he is triumphant. Which I always found kind of funny. Because in some ways, Magneto is. Uh, Magneto was able to basically whoop the X-Men. The only two that really stood a chance against him were uh, Cyclops and Banshee, which I've always found kind of funny because it was the the two senior members of the X-Men that were able to stand up against him. The uh, The new members of the X-Men weren't able to defeat Magneto. Their powers were, they were useless against the Master of Magnetism. He could do uh, anything against them. Like he just shoved Colossus and Wolverine out of his face and that was it. I don't know why Wolverine was so upset about that, but hey. You want to keep on fighting the useless battle? By all means, please, Logan, go ahead. So uh, on our final page, we're brought back to a scene somewhere in the universe. A humanoid uh, uh, person and a giant uh, alligator crocodile person are uh, speaking with each other. And they're worried about the emperor, some kind of emperor is coming their way. 
And we also see the um, the woman that Professor Xavier has been um, has been seeing in his mind the last uh, ten or so issues, and she's flying away somewhere near. It looks like planet Earth. And meanwhile, on planet Earth, Professor Xavier, Misty Knight, and Jean Grey are visited by Jean Grey's parents, and they're very happy to see each other. But right outside their door. Eric the Red, Polaris, and Havoc are waiting to ambush them. And then that's the end of our issue. Next issue, Phoenix Unleashed. Uh, Uncanny X-Men, uh, number 105. This was a fantastic issue. Um, once again, our, our guy, um, uh, Dave Crockroom, does it again. He always does. He is just... As the kids say, he is that guy. Everything he does, he's able to do such fantastic panel layouts and great scenes and dramatic uh, fight scenes, or sometimes even just characters just standing around even look exciting. It's amazing. I'm kind of amazed how he does that. The close-ups, Wolverine's angry yet frustrated expressions. Magneto shaking his hand as he yells how triumphant he is. It's all great. The subplots all building up with the two escape mutants. Banshee Downey, Moira Metaggart's, uh, you know, her, her actual person, her personality. This is actually the first issue she actually wears a jumpsuit, which is pretty funny. We're going to see that jumpsuit um, a little later. A few more times, but overall, the issue was great. It was great to see the X-Men once again without Cyclops attempting to defeat another X-Men villain. If you notice the X-Men, these new X-Men are pretty bad at fighting old school X-Men villains. They technically couldn't beat Dragonaut. They couldn't beat Magneto. And uh, now let's see how they fare up against Eric the Red. Once again, another villain who got away from them uh, just a few issues ago. So uh, this issue was fantastic. I, I would love to know what you guys think. Uh, I loved it. Uh, this is riveting for me. I, I love reading these stories again. Rereading these stories uh, alongside them in this podcast is fantastic. Uh, talking over them, the different scenes, it's it's all great. It's bringing back uh, great childhood memories, you know, when you were a kid. Picking up these books for the first time, just, it's great, man. Uh, the annoying sailor uh, guy with the motorboat, even he was uh, he was great, too. That's the depiction. I can totally see a guy like that in real life just doing that to people, but. Yeah, it's, it's just a fantastic issue overall. Um, I'm just going to take one more quick break, and then we're going to come back in with a wrap-up and talk about what we're doing uh, next week. Uh, don't go anywhere, folks. And we're back for the wrap-up. Uh, this episode was pretty awesome. Uh, the issues that we uh, went over, uh, read together, and discussed. Um, just, just classic X-Men, really, when you... Um, would you just break it down to its uh to its bare bones? The next few issues are also uh, I think bangers. There's some great stuff here. Uh, the issue uh, 105 and 106 are um, they're they're pretty awesome. I uh, I don't think that they're as good as the last uh, two issues that we discussed today, but that by no means makes them any uh any less than. Uh, any of the previous issues that we discussed they're just not as uh, I, I don't really know how to describe it it's not as um, randos uh, I suppose but uh, everything here is leading up to uh, issue 107 and 108 those are like the big payoffs that Claremont has been building up towards throughout uh, the, his last you know, 10 or so issues and it's, it's pretty awesome to see it all come together so nicely. There's going to be like a small reprieve for a little while as we move into uh, issues 109 and 110 and 111. But then from 112 forward, it's it's going to be it's going to be a wild ride. Um, we're also approaching the um, the end of Dave Crockroom's uh artistic run on the book unfortunately his last issue is uh 107 um 
unfortunately. He um he was unable to keep up with the uh with the artistic duties that uh, X-Men had demanded from him because Uncanny X-Men does go monthly uh, very very shortly in this time period. So he wasn't able to keep up with uh, with the duties as a uh, penciler. So John Byrne, a uh, famous artist. you got A lot of you guys probably know him because he's, well, every time you mention X-Men, it's kind of hard not to think of John Byrne because he's so, his art is so impactful and his, uh, story and plot, um, just fantastic stuff. Uh, he contributed so much to that. So really hard not to think about John Byrne when you think of X-Men. Uh, he also did some stuff on Avengers, but we'll talk about John Byrne another day. But for now, uh, that's what's really important is that um, we realize that, unfortunately, Dave Crocker will be leaving the book. Yeah. Uh, it makes me a little sad thinking about it because I, I really do love his art. You guys already know this. I talk about it all the time. I'm talking about it right now because it's just, it's great, man. Uh, it's just fantastic stuff overall. Um, but this is last, um, his last contribution was X-Men 107, but don't worry. He will be back much later, uh, right around issue one, one fifty ish, give or take. So, don't worry, don't despair. We will see some more of this uh, iconic artist uh, style, his uh, layouts and whatnot. So that's uh, that's the plan for next week. This episode's probably going to come out um, on the Tuesday after Christmas. I know some people are you know, you know, still doing family stuff or hanging out with friends. So I didn't want to drop it uh, on that weekend. So I'm dropping it right in the middle of the week. Which uh, won't be the norm, but uh, just because of the holiday season and stuff like that, I'm most likely going to drop it right around there. And uh, yeah, that's that's all I really got for you guys. Um, uh, we'll see you guys uh, next week, or actually maybe later on in the week. Um, I'm probably going to record another episode uh, for this Saturday anyway, so be on the lookout for that. You guys can follow me on Instagram, at Rick's Random Ramblings. Post updates on there. I post, uh, you know, interesting pictures or artwork that I've come across while uh, reading and preparing for the next week's episode. You guys can also fo- find me at ricksrants.com. You guys can find additional episodes on there, and you guys can also see some of the uh, art that I work on uh, periodically. Don't post much on there, but when I do, it's pretty awesome. And finally, you guys can follow me on Twitter. Uh, Rick's uh with that Rick Maldonado 97 the dark nut uh, you guys can follow me on there I mostly uh post uh lots of comic book opinions silly stuff I retweet uh Rob Liefeld's tweets because um even though his art isn't fantastic he still speaks the truth when it comes to uh comic book opinions and uh, facts and stuff his comic book knowledge is Second to no one, in my opinion. He really does know his stuff. He's awesome. Follow Rob Liefeld on Twitter, guys. You guys really should. He's awesome. Uh, and that's all I really have for you guys this week. We'll see you guys in a uh, in a few days, actually. That's kind of funny. Uh, we'll be discussing Uncanny X-Men number uh, 105 and 106. I will see you guys then. Prepare. Bring some notes. Tell me what you guys think of uh, these last two issues. I'm always kind of curious what you guys think. Once again, I read on Marvel Unlimited. That is um, my choice. I own all these books. I just don't want to take them out the bag and board and potentially ruin them because I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm a little rough with my comics. Uh, they're, they're reading material, but they're also you know kind of like you know collectibles and stuff. But Marvel Unlimited, or if you guys happen to find the collected editions. Where you can, it's kind of hard to find them nowadays if they're not like Spider-Man or Captain America. I almost never find um, Uncanny X-Men omnibuses at Barnes and Nobles, but they're probably on like somewhere like Amazon and stuff like that, and you guys can find them on there. But you know how it is. Sometimes they don't have the next uh, volume or whatever. I know that Barnes and Nobles definitely has a Dark Phoenix saga, but for some reason it doesn't have the regular Phoenix saga uh, around. I don't know what's up with that, but. Yeah, that's uh, these publishing companies for you, right? Anyways, guys, I'm going to let you guys go.
Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We'll see you guys in a few days. Take care and uh, enjoy.